Welcome to Doctors at Work. My name is Matt and this podcast is about doctors' careers. I'm interviewing doctors from a range of specialties and I'm trying to find out what their careers are like. Today I'm interviewing Hanley Duplessis. We're going to talk about a career in anesthesia. She tells us what it's like and what you need to succeed in that specialty. Enjoy. Welcome, Hanley. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Thank you so much for having me, Matt. Uh, I was born in Germany, but grew up in South Africa, and that's where I studied medicine. Always wanted to be a doctor. I was president of the Medical Students Council before coming over with a suitcase from a South African summer heat wave to the sleet and drich, is that the word, weather of Scotland? with a six-month house job and and naivety and hope uh, packed with my suitcase. And from there on, we I had the constant pressure of having to find the next job and found anesthesia, did all my postgraduate training before becoming a consultant in the west and central of Scotland and eventually moving to Oxford to settle as a consultant in anaesthetics here. How did you find anaesthesia? Well... I think many house officers, particularly relevant, this recording is done a couple of weeks into August after the changeover, found that very hard and a bit disillusioning when you realise this is not the apprenticeship you thought you'd signed up for. So I started with A of specialties in the alphabet and came upon accident and emergency, which is what it was called in Scotland. And that's where I realised all the cool, calm, collected doctors came into resuscitation stabilized patients, took them to the operating room or to intensive care. And I thought, I think that's my tribe. That's that's the group of folk I want to hang out with and want to be a part of. And that really sparked my enthusiasm and um, career in anaesthetics. So tell me a bit more about this idea that you found your tribe and that influenced your career decision making. Anesthesia is so esoteric. No one really knows what we do. And so you almost have to immerse yourself in it to find it. But it is a group of people who enjoy both the technical aspects as well as the um, no delayed gratification. Many of us would, in the old days, we had developed photos, can't wait even an hour for them. And so you see physiology and pharmacology in action in front of your eyes, immediate. And of course, with that comes the responsibility because catastrophes can happen that quickly as well. Anesthetists is also known for loving things like coffee, being quite pedantic maybe, and having a balance outside of the hospital. I'm not a triathlete, but doing sports, doing things that make them tick and give them a buzz apart from medicine. And suddenly that whole cohort with a personality type really meant that I found my place and mm. people. And what does your job involve? My job now involves anaesthetizing for major emergencies, surgical vascular emergencies, spines, trauma, uh, and major cancer work, for instance, urology and gynecological work, as well as some benign work. And then as part of the job plan, I also manage clinical governance for our on-call group. Uh, I'm in charge of well-being for the department, teaching medical students and as well as doctors in training, which is almost part and parcel of the job. 
If you think of the typical anaesthetist, what does a typical anaesthetist do in a typical week? Well, I can almost scale it back even to what it looks in a day. But because many of us do resident on call, it means that uh, it mops up, so to speak, quite a lot of the direct clinical care. So I think some of our listeners won't even know what a consultant contract looks like. That's for a whole different podcast. But we would subdivide it into direct clinical care and then supporting professional activities, SPAs. And all of that is recognized according to a standardized timetable almost. And if you do a long day in the operating room or if you do resident on call, which many people are doing increasingly, that means it takes up quite a lot of that direct clinical care that you deliver. For some people in a full-time job, that could be three full long days. By that, I mean a half past 7 a.m. start to at least half past 7 p.m. And then you're supporting professional activities to revalidate, appraise, teach, do the other things that doctors and consultants enjoy. And when you're given an anaesthetic and working in theatre, what does that involve? An anaesthetic day, I sometimes, um, particularly for medical students, compare it to the chefy programmes where they come and join us when we're about to maybe induce anaesthesia, put a patient to sleep. But in fact, we've done all the preparation before that, the maison place, the chopping of the vegetables. And by that, I mean, you go and see the patient, prepare your plan, your drugs, see what is available, what kit, work with the surgeons. So it would be see the patients, plan for the day. And now we, of course, have more structured ways of communicating by doing checklists, plan, send for the first patient, and then start your day and anesthetizing. And then you get into a flow. I know as surgeons, you get into a flow as well. And in fact, we can see it when you are in a flow, when things just click from when the cannula goes in, which of course, after you've checked the patients to when the intubation goes smoothly, all the way to the very end, when you safely take the patient to the recovery room, see them the next day post-operatively. Okay. What's it like to work in a theatre environment? I guess that comes to one of the best bits, um, which is the fact that you can only be with one patient at a time. You know, you are completely committed to that patient and many things can happen, but you can't leave because they are your sole responsibility. However, that's also negative because you are in a closed box (laughs) for sometimes hours on end and you are hyper alert to every alarm, trying to keep everything going and, and negotiating things. You have a chair. So I know for many of the juniors, even just sitting on any chair is a bonus, but there is somewhere usually for you to sit and then manage your patient, the pumps, everything around you. But that also means that if you say have big long cases, that it could be very sedentary uh, and obviously no access to natural light uh, or getting out for a break and so on. You also work with a variety of people in the team, anaesthetic nurses or operating department practitioners, so ODPs who assist us, the surgeons, key, the nursing staff, radiographers, and then, for instance, if we do big spine work, uh, patient uh, people involved with the neuromonitoring, a whole host, radiographers, all working in this closed box environment with the patient at the centre. How do you manage those relationships? 
I think having the morning who that forces us to come together and discuss things beforehand really is an opportunity before we set off to plan. We know from the aviation industry that if there's difficult interactions within that team, that it will affect performance. Uh, and so I think with some of the challenges we now face in the NHS, it is even more important to try and manage that team so that they can perform to the best of their ability. And I often say to the patients, I do the magic so that the surgeon can do the work. At the heart of it is we have to respect each other. We have to trust each other. Otherwise, we simply can't function. How, how do you create that respect and that trust? Sometimes there is benefit if you work with someone regularly. So you get to know a team, you get to know a surgeon, I'm sure you're the same, you get to know the anaesthetists. But sometimes we have to accept that you are thrown into a, a, a maelstrom that you never expected. For instance, if there's a polytrauma case that's coming through where everyone is just literally thrown into the mix of it. So then very simple strategies work. For instance, having your name on your hat or your lanyard, being very clear in your communication, being sure who's the team leader and assigning roles early knowing when it is your turn to be the member of the team, but not the team leader. So almost like a Formula One pit stop. You have to maybe not have the opportunity to walk a road, but in that moment, you have to come together, assign the roles, communicate clearly to build that trust. So I've, I've got an image of an anaesthetist now as, as somebody who's um, very calm, very committed, emotionally intelligent, good leader, good team player, great psychological safety. Is that, are those born, are, are, are people born to be an anaesthetist or, or are they skills that one develops during training? Great question. We know from working in the hospital setting that it does seem that certain specialties pick out certain personalities. And then as you progress in that specialty, certain bits of your personality becomes amplified. Whether that is checking the expiry dates on drugs and then checking the expiry date on the baked beans when you go home. How you manage risk. Some of it can be taught. And I guess what we used to think, even maybe cast your mind back to when we were medical students, no one taught us how to communicate. It was assumed that if you studied medicine, you are a good communicator. But of course, now we teach students those skills. And certainly, some personalities will gravitate towards anesthesia and then have those skills inherent, and you're able to nurture and nourish them to flourish. And some people will have other skills. But within anesthesia, there are so many different routes that you can still follow that actually there is somewhere you can shine. Tell me about the different routes and different pathways in anesthesia. So there is being a pure anesthetist, but then there are other aspects of anesthesia, so pediatrics, cardiac, so the subspecialties, obstetrics, and each of these have got their, their different nuances. And some of us will be very clear about the Marmite effect. And then, of course, the big 
dividing line, I would say, is critical care or intensive care and the dual accreditation in that. And another subspecialty is chronic, and I would include acute pain because I view them as being on a spectrum of whether it's inpatient or outpatient pain management. But that's much more clinic-based and has got, and I hope my um, chronic pain colleagues don't shoot me for this, but it has got more of a clinic feel and a physician feel about it, yet always being able to also do some anaesthetics as part of it. Mm -hmm. You mentioned that people come in and then the specialty grows and develops them. So t tell me a bit more about this idea of the specialty developing people, supporting people, looking after people. I think anaesthesia is known. I was in, in SHO in Aberdeen many years ago, and that's where the non-technical sim simulation training really started in some ways. So we've, we've been at the forefront for non-technical skills, looking after people. I don't know if it is the environment because you're with one patient and you're working alongside someone for 10 hours in that closed box environment that you maybe get to know people a bit better and you're able to look after each other. But certainly the registrars have a cohort where they can study together and go through these life experiences, such as exams, including maybe getting married, starting families and so on together. I do think that then changes when you become a consultant. And I try and teach this to people as well, because suddenly then you are we sometimes likened to being wolves, you know, kind of lone travelers, because then it's just you as the anesthetist in the operating room. But it is key that you know who's working next door to you so that I know exactly who I can call upon in case of an unexpected catastrophe or expected difficult, complex case. You, you mentioned that you're the well-being lead. So what do you do in that role? This really developed during the um, pandemic. It's not a recognised role in the sense that it's part of um, the wider department. But we really saw during the pandemic, particularly at the start, that there just wasn't sustenance for the frontline workers. And it started with a massive trip to Costco and just uh, other supermarkets are available, uh, filling the car with grab-and-go healthy snacks with no cross-infection to try and keep everyone going, quite literally. And now we're seeing the aftershocks, so to speak, of well-being and people needing that extra support as we faced with an overwhelming workload with not enough capacity um, and infrastructure often to look after very complex patients who have certain needs and expectations. Mm. Um, so you've outlined a number of things that one could do alongside a purely clinical practice. So what, what opportunities are there in addition to clinical work for an anaesthetist? Teaching is the first thing that comes to mind because we are so used to working really next to each other and we have all these technical procedures that give us a buzz when we get them right. Of course, the enemy of that is perfectionism and when you don't manage to do them or perform them, managing that performance anxieties. And we can do that for everyone from our nursing staff who join us and need to learn the skill and craft of being our assistants to the medical students 
who often only have maybe a week or two, if they're lucky, within the anaesthetic rooms, followed by the doctors in training. I don't like calling them juniors because they are grown adults. So those are really the key clinical education opportunities. But in addition to that, you can explore more traditional or classrooms, university-based simulation. That's just the teaching. We know that as you then progress as a consultant, you explore different avenues. But of course, there are management roles you can take on trying to bring together departments and, of course, face the challenges we have now about staffing and so on. Okay. Um, what are the best bits of being an anaesthetist? The best bits is that commitment to being with the patient at their most vulnerable moments. Many people think anaesthetists aren't good communicators because, and I'm using air quotes for the listeners, we just put people to sleep. But many times a surgeon would have walked a road with a patient already. They would have seen them in clinic. And so actually coming to the OR is a culmination of a journey of investigations and conversations. Whereas we see the patient on the day of surgery, maybe with five, ten minutes, to gain the ultimate trust. To ensure that the most vulnerable moment will be held safely in our hands when someone is unconscious. And that is a privilege can't actually explain. Uh, that is by far the biggest privilege of the job. And uh, the buzz, the thrill, when you see that pharmacology and physiology and surgery goes well and you're part of that team, that is very special. Again, for the listeners, I live close to a big hospital and those are the ambulances in the background. I, th I think that's a patient being delivered to your colleagues that are at work. Correct. <laughs> okay. Um, so what are the challenging bits about being an anaesthetist? The challenging bits is, is managing that hyper-alert state continuously. Because remember, nothing might happen. And I think foolishly, people compare anesthesia to aviation, which isn't entirely true because there is no autopilot. It is actually maybe closer to being a train driver where you have to constantly take these alarms and sounds on board, what's happening in the surgical field, and make the judgment of when an intervention is needed or not and looking at trends. And that, that can be exhausting. You know, non-anesthetists can go, but you've just been sitting down all day looking at a monitor. But that hyper-alert state, and of course, once you're committed to that patient, you can't leave. And anesthesia is a service specialty. No one comes to hospital for an anesthetic. They come to hospital for an operation. And so if you have an ego and you want people to remember you, then that is not the right specialty for you because our purpose is to make them forget and to make them not feel and to not be aware. And, and for that, that service aspect, so if I have committed myself to that patient, I cannot leave. And then it takes as long as it takes. And that means you don't have control when actually you, you love, you relish having the ultimate control. Okay. And um, what's your proudest career moment? 
I have to say the the fellowship exam is hard. And um, I won't overshare, but I, as a young woman, needed a lot of surgery. And I was quite unwell around the time of getting my final FRCA. And it, it just felt like such an achievement. That is the fellowship of the Royal College of Anesthetists, which is here in the UK for the listeners from elsewhere, maybe, that you have to get in order to progress in your career and become a consultant. And it was very special. My parents came over from South Africa. We went to the college graduation with some friends and their parents. And um, it was, a, it was a, I had a real sense of achievement. Okay. Um, so if you think to the beginning of somebody's training, so how does one get into anesthetics? The current route is you have to become a doctor and then get your full, I know that sounds very obvious, but again, there could be different names that sound very similar to anesthetist, but you have to be a doctor, get full registration in the GMC, and then progress through the initial stage, stages, apply for, um, they've not long changed the, the curriculum and the names for it, to then have a training post, during which time you do the college examinations, what I've just referred to, a combination of written, and um, spoken examinations and eventually get what they call a CCT, which is where you become registered with the General Medical Council to become a consultant. What kind of skills do people need to get in? What do people need on their portfolio to get into anesthesia? It's quite hard, it strikes me, for some people because sometimes what they need to have on their portfolio, they can only get on their portfolio if they start doing the job. But there are always opportunities. And that's what I would say. So if you're a student and you're interested in anesthetics, try and get onto the special study module. There will always be an audit or something needing done that will make you stand out a little bit. And it's really hard to stand out, I think, at the moment for people. If you're a house officer and you're stuck on the emergency admissions unit, but you know a patient of yours is going to have surgery, see if you can just go into the anesthetic room introduce yourself, show up, not only physically, but metaphorically speaking, by showing a little bit of enthusiasm. Of course, if you need to be on your rest days, don't come in. But if there is an opportunity for you to see something, our specialty is usually practiced in a basement of a hospital behind closed doors, and people come out with a sticky or a sticky, and then that's them. Uh, that can give you that hands-on flavor and and most anesthetists in my experience would be more than happy to show you our trade and craft of course if you're in another specialty we often see doctors from emergency medicine having to come and certify their airway skills and it's not unheard of that some of them then think actually maybe the i fancy a change mm -hmm. um what kind of a person is anesthetics for um it is for a person who likes attention to detail, who is focused, enjoys technical skills, can work under pressure, can show leadership and decision-making, and is able to com communicate clearly. And my final question, um, what tips would you have for a doctor making career decisions? So if someone is early on in their career, I would say 
look around, ask as wide as you can when you have the opportunity to meet even the most bizarre subspecialty you've never heard of. Don't ask them about the best bit. Ask them about the worst bit. Because unless you can cope with that, it doesn't matter how good the rest of the job sounds. I would always advise those starting out not to focus on work-life balance, but to remind yourself what got you into medicine. And quite often, these were stellar individuals who have you know, performed at such high levels or come from all sorts of backgrounds, but that is you. And when that first set of nights and um, the only prospect of beans on toast sets in, you need to remember who you are uh, in order to keep functioning and staying, staying true to your values as such. Wonderful. Thank you very much, Hanley. Thank you, Matt.